This week we have Kevin. Hi, Kevin. How are you going? I'm good, thank you. How was your drive in? Adventurous. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're just having a quick chat about that. Um, So we're going to start off with an icebreaker today Mm -hmm. that you don't know about. So how would you describe the internet to a caveman? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I feel like I should say access to knowledge, Mm -hmm. like immense knowledge, universal knowledge. But then you've got all the crap that goes on the internet as well. So um, um, I I probably would say, um, might sound like a strange word, but expansion or expanded. Mm -hmm. Because I think whatever we pre-internet, and I'm young enough to have been around when there wasn't the internet, (laughs) we... We obviously had whatever knowledge we were in proximity to or had access to, but that, in hindsight, was even limited. So I think with the internet, you, you just expand that knowledge or the access to wider knowledge. So yeah, I'd probably say it's just an expanded reach of yeah. knowledge and information. Sorry to throw that to you no, very early good. in the morning, just that's straight right. in there. That's fine. Um, so are you a risk taker? And if you are, would you consider yourself a blind risk taker or a considered risk taker? Yeah, I um, I definitely think I'm a risk taker, and I'm not a I'm not a subscriber to just risk for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. I'm not a gambler, and I don't mean in just casinos. I don't mean gambling on a situation and saying why not throw the dice, see what happens. I am more, as you point out, a a considered risk taker because I think if we can get enough information about a situation or, or a context, and then just weigh up and say I don't. I don't know how this is going to play out, but I have a sense that I can manage in that context. And and then let's see where it takes me. Um, And I think being a considered risk taker is something that allows you to go in with an open mindset to whatever situation you're going into, uh, whether it's creative or experiential or life or whatever it might be, where that if you have that open mindset um, and you're willing to adapt, you're probably more... um, mindful of when opportunities show up mm-hmm. because you're kind of looking for what's happening and then if you are considered risk taker you say well on balance i should probably give that a go and, and see where that takes us and the other reason why i think uh, being a considered risk taker has probably been good for me in, in in my career and in my life is that um not knowing where things are going to end up is actually way more exciting than wanting to know what the end of the story is mm-hmm. or wanting to know where you're going to end up because it takes you to places you would never expect or have planned. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely scary oh, yeah. not knowing, but it's also exciting. Yeah. There's been many considered risks I've taken that I've been terrified, but excited as well. Yeah. And I think that's when you know when you're either doing something interesting or important or, or at the very least where you're growing. Yeah. Um, if you're in a situation where you're a bit nervous, uh, you're a bit scared, maybe a lot scared, but at the same time, you've got that butterflies in your stomach excitement as, where could this go? What's happening? And that's when you're learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I, I think the pursuit of growth, personal mm-hmm. growth, creative growth, kind of t- tends to push me in the considered risk category yeah. because of that. Yeah, exactly. Um, what is the most outrageous event or experience that you've had and what did you take out of it? Been a considered risk taker. I've had a lot of outrageous things happening, um, but one that uh, we spoke about previously that really jumps to mind is a um, little bit of a longer story, but I'll, I'll try and condense it. Yep. Um, I was uh, working as John Creative Director of Sachi Design and Sachi and Sachi Sydney, where we are today. Yep. <laughs> um, I was there for about six years, 
And I thought that uh, I think I'd fill this box, this idea of growth. Mm-hmm. I needed to grow, but I didn't know what I was going to do. And uh, I was thinking I'm in, the, in one of the best studios in, in the country, in the world. I'm, I'm a great agency and God, I don't know who else I'd work for in Sydney. And I don't have the courage to set up my own studio. So, but, but I need something radical. I can't just mm-hmm. have something else. Yeah, you're uh, chasing the same. feeling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, my now wife said, uh, you know, what would you do if I took a job in Kununurra? Mm-hmm. And I was like, so was that, is that a suburb in Melbourne? I don't know where that is. I'm Irish, so I have no idea. <laughs> um, and she said, no, 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 it's, um, it's in the top end of Western Australia. And I was like, okay, yeah. that's pretty radical. Mm-hmm. So the universe provides, you know, just three weeks <laughs> earlier, I'm thinking, I need something radical in the universe. Is what about this? So I, I figured I'm going to do that. One, mm. I want to support her for what she was doing. And two, I said, this is never on my plan. And because I'm Irish, I'm not built to be up there, but I'll give it a go. Yeah. Um, she um, then immediately got worried that I wouldn't be able to get work because I thought I've got to set up my own studio. And she said, if you can't get work, maybe you can do fruit picking. And mm-hmm. I was like, that's a nice little support pep talk. I don't <laughs> think I'm going to do that. I'm going to do my best to get some business. But she did say... Look, there's a film that's rolling through town and maybe you could do like extras casting. And at the time I thought that was a bit of a backhanded compliment, a bit Mm -hmm. of a mild insult. I was like, really? You want to do extras casting? But I'd never done it. Back to experience, uh, I'll give it a go and see what it's like. And I ended up going for a casting and had a great time talking to German backpackers in the queue. And that was the end of that. And three months later, I got a a call. from the production company and they said, are, are you available? Like you did extras casting, so are you available to be on set tomorrow? And I said, no. Oh, how about Saturday? Yeah, I can do Saturday. <laughs> no. <clears throat> yeah, I said, I'll give it a go. <laughs> yeah. And they said, great, because uh, we, we need you to be a stand-in for David Wenham. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is crazy because my, my now, she, she had laughed and joked that I should do extra casting because she thought I looked like David Wenham. Yeah. And she said that if you do that, then they could pretend David Wenham's in the film. And here he actually is. And it was the film set for Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, yeah, wow, okay. So I'm on set. And um, because I was a stand-in, it's what you call cardboard cutout, really. Mm-hmm. They're looking for positioning, lighting. So I'm just standing there. And from behind the, the camera, I heard this voice that said, excuse me, Kevin, could you please step three foot stage side? Mm-hmm. Uh, three feet to the state side. And clearly the director could see my face going, okay, he has no clue what that means. No. But he, he popped his head out and I went, holy shit, that's, that's Baz Luhrmann. Mm-hmm. So I can actually claim that Baz Luhrmann directed me. That's, <laughs> that's official. <laughs> Put but that what, on the statement. <laughs> yes. But what I thought was amazing, um, and this is kind of the, the interesting side of it. I was a stand-in. Mm-hmm. Cardboard cutout on a, on a set in the middle of nowhere with lots of stars. There was Nicole Kidman, David Wenham, Jack Thompson. And Baz Luhrmann took the time to ask the crew, what's that guy's name? Mm-hmm. And then he called me by my name and was incredibly polite and incredibly considerate that I'm not a professional actor, so I don't know what he's talking about jargon-wise. Mm-hmm. And I just went, wow, my respect for him just went through the roof. Yeah, wow, that's he huge. He could have just said, oh, excuse me. Sir, or you, can you move left? But he was really, really professional and really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was amazing. And, and the kind of add-on to that story was a few days later, I was going to the gym and um, the class was usually in the gymnasium. And then there was a gym aside to it. And our class in the gymnasium was cancelled 
but the lady said, do you want to go to the gym? I know you're not a member, but do you want to go in? Because your class is cancelled and you didn't get the email. Yeah. Everybody else is gone, but you're, you're here at 5.30 in the morning. So I went in and there was two people in there and one of them turned around and it was David Wenham's double, got mm-hmm. called Glenn, and he looked like David Wenham. And the other one was Hugh Jackman. So yeah. I'm in the gym, hanging out with yeah, just, <laughs> And we've got, I've got a mutual friend with Hugh Jackman, so we ended up chatting and working out and chatting. And I'm in the gym thinking, far out, I'm working out with the Wolverine. This is nuts. <laughs> and... Just before I was finishing, the door burst open and um, Keith Urban came through with his entourage. And I was like, this is weird. I'm in the middle of nowhere with Hugh Jackman, Keith Urban. It sounds like a dream. Yeah, it was it was really interesting. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was really fun. Um and for those who don't know what Kananar is, it's um it's in the top end of Western Australia and the next nearest hub, urban hub, is a one hour flight in either direction. The town itself is about four and a half thousand people. Yeah. And that's about it. It's yeah, beautiful. Wow. It's beautiful, but so, it's remote. Yeah. Would you say your learnings from that is just dive in and Oh uh, my learnings from that are when the universe provided that radical sort of uh opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was scared to go to your point earlier. I had no idea what I was gonna do. I had to set up a business, so I wasn't planning on doing any of that. Had I not gone, so many different experiences, including what I just described, would not have happened. Mm-hmm. Like so for me to just to reflect on what the lesson was or what the, um, it was more validation to take that considered risk Mm -hmm. to not only see what might happen, but try and make it work. And, you know, in the weirdest, strangest way, what I could have taken as an insult from my wife, go and do extras casting, ended up being this incredible experience I would never have even thought about doing. Yeah. Um, so the lesson would be more of a validation of considered risk mm-hmm. and, and uh, just going with what the universe throws at you. Yeah. And um, just to follow on from that, have you ever met an idol or someone's work who you admire? And what was your encounter and what learnings did you take out of that as well? Yeah, I've been very, very lucky. I've Over my career, I've, I've somehow found myself in the position to have met many, many of the people who I look up to or respect. And through a publication I used to do called Open Manifesto, I had the opportunity to interview people from all over the world mm-hmm. that I respected and admired and feared mm-hmm. <laughs> in many ways. So like, yep. But I think my earliest experience of, of that was when I was 17. I'm, I'm Irish and just growing up in Ireland and going to design school in Ireland, the mecca for design was London. So mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to London eventually when I graduate. But before I graduated, I went to London to meet um, a gentleman by the name of Vaughan Oliver, mm-hmm. who's an incredible designer, sadly passed away a few years ago. Um, and he was the designer for 4AD Records, which had uh, the Pixies, Dead Can Dance, now people like um, uh, Gang of Youths, um, that's, oh, that's, gang that's, that's the record level. <laughs> yeah. Um, so back then he was he was doing all this amazing artwork for album covers, and I grew up looking at those album covers and listening to that music from mm-hmm. fourteen to when I was seventeen. Um, got in touch with them and said, "I'm going to be in London. Can I meet you?" And they said, "Yeah, sure." So I went over to London. <sighs> I got lost <laughs> on my way, and I had to contact them and go, "I'm I'm lost. I can't I can't get in." get there and there's no no problem how about coming two days time i said okay so i 
made sure I knew where I was going and got there early. And I rocked up and Von Oliver sadly wasn't there that day. Yeah. But his assistant, Chris Big, was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a big fan of Chris Big as well. And Chris said, oh, I'm really sorry, Vaughn's not here, but come on in and, and we'll have a chat. And it was Friday evening, afternoon. We came in and he was showing me work that they were working on mm-hmm. and process work and a whole range of things. And, and then he said to me, um, I'm just going to get some stuff. So uh, stay here and, and don't move. I was like, okay. So yeah. off, off you went. Came back in about five or six minutes later and he said, wow, you didn't move. I was like exactly <laughs> where I left. I was so scared. Yeah. So we were chatting away and, and uh, came to the point where we had to wrap up. And um, so here's one of my kind of idols. Definitely Von Oliver was, but Chris was an idol of mine. He just turned to me and he said, uh, so what are you doing now? I said, oh, I've just got to head down to the train station and I'm going to head back into, into London Central. And he said, oh, do you mind if I walk with you? And in my head, I was like, I'm 17, I'm a nobody, <laughs> and this is Chris Big, and he's asking me if he can walk down the street with me. And I was like, oh, yeah, of hell yeah. course, <laughs> yeah. yes. So we started walking down the street, and we were chatting about the bands that I loved and he worked for and Vaughn worked for and all this. And he said, um, the interesting thing is when we see all these bands on stage and all the fans are in there and they're idolizing these people, and there's a kind of a barrier between the audience and the stage because mm-hmm. there are gods on stage and we're all the, in, in the audience and looking up going, wow. And he said, but we work with them. And, you know, you just realize, and he just turned around to me and he stuck out his index finger and he put it into my shoulder and said, they're just people. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I think I learned a big lesson that no matter how we view people, how how we put them on pedestals or how we fear them, mm-hmm. they are just people. Yeah. And I think that at age 17 helped set me up for what I didn't know then, but a career ahead of me where I'm talking to people like Stefan Sagmaster, Edward de Bono, mm-hmm. Noam Chomsky, Errol Morris, you know, all these amazing people who... Had I not had that little lesson, age 17, I probably wouldn't have had the courage yep. to just reach out, mm-hmm. sprinkle with a lot of naivety <laughs> and um, <clears throat> overreach. Yeah. But I think that little lesson prompted me to say, these people are not beyond talking to at least. Mm-hmm. And I think that was probably, even though I didn't meet my Idol, idol at that time, Vaughn Oliver, meaning Chris, probably gave me a lesson that set me up for for life, actually. Yeah, wow. That's actually a really great lesson. Mm. Um, And lastly, just to wrap up, beyond the title, who is Kevin? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I reckon probably probably three things. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably many more, but three that popped into (laughs) into my head. I think the first is... You know, most parents are going to say this, but I really am a very proud dad. Yeah. Um, a, lo- a lot of what I do, a lot of how I see the world, I see it through my son. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see it through him because I just love the curiosity of kids. Mm-hmm. And I love the energy and the dynamism of 
kids who just give it a go. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, we talked earlier about growth. Yeah. Everything they do is about growth yeah. and learning. And I think I, I look through his eyes at the world and that's probably a big inspiration for me. The second is I'm a really simple person. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want for much. Mm-hmm. I don't need much. Um, and everything I do from work to just how I live day by day, is, it's just simple, keeping it simple. Mm-hmm. And then the third is I'm an optimist. Yep. I know most designers and creatives or artists or whatever are optimists, but I think since I can remember as a kid, I've always been optimistic about what can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, as responsible adults, we have to be optimistic about the future that we are creating for our kids and the next generations. Yep. Because particularly right now, we've faced so many challenges. I think the first step is optimism rather than hope. Hope mm-hmm. is a bit kind of, there's the fingers crossed, let's see what happens, where optimism is we can actually go and do something about it. Yeah. Uh, and I think most creatives and most designers, if we can apply what we do in an optimistic way to design the future in a more responsible way, mm-hmm. I think that's, that's where my head's at. And yeah, that's perfect. why I'm kind of an eternal optimist. What a great way to end it. Thank you so much for your time, Kevin. Really my appreciate pleasure. it. Thank you. Thank you.